thank you for taking the time to listen to this life-changing message from the ministry of Faith Bible Chapel. We hope this message will encourage you in all parts of your life. At the end of this message, you will hear more information on how to contact our church family, as well as directions for you to visit us for any of our worship services. Until then, join us for the service in progress. I'm calling this message tonight, although it's spiritual warfare, I'm calling it Lessons of a Lopsided Conflict. Lessons of, and it's on your outline, so you don't have to write it down. Lessons of a Lopsided Conflict. We have all experienced or witnessed or seen what we would call a lopsided conflict. Ten against one. A better team against a lesser team. Whatever. We, would all, we could all probably recall a time when we would say that was lopsided. Whatever that was. Whatever that was. And so tonight as we're talking about spiritual warfare, I want us to look at some lessons that we can learn from a lopsided conflict. And the conflict that we're going to look at is the conflict of David and Goliath. But before we do that, I want to, I want to start by reading Ephesians chapter 6. So we're going to start in the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 13 through 17. Then we're going to draw, jump into 1 Samuel 17. And I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but I think we're mostly familiar enough with the chapter that as I just capture parts of the chapter... Um, you can either follow along in your Bible, you can read later, or those that are very, excuse me, familiar with the story, you'll be able to piece together. So here's what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, and, and we all are pretty familiar with the context of this. He's in Ephesus, he's in prison, chained to a Roman guard, and he's writing a prison epistle. That's what it's called. And here's what he says in conclusion, the end of that book. He says, therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in time of evil. Then after the battle, you will be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of those, hold up the shield of faith to stop all of the fiery darts of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So over the last 11 weeks, we've talked about the different aspects of spiritual warfare, from trials and tribulations to understanding doors and gateways that the enemy comes in to looking at the different kingdoms, the magic kingdom, the tragic kingdom, the kingdom of God. So we've covered a, a broad scope of, of things concerning the kingdom of darkness. I want to ask you a question. How much attention do you give to getting dressed every day? And I'm not asking you to answer that. I'm just asking you to think about that. Um, I would suspect that some of us probably would watch the news the night before. And we would say if it was 78 today, which it was, and it's going to be 42 tomorrow, which it's going to be, we're probably going to dress differently. Would you agree? I went on a bike ride this morning early, and I had shorts and short sleeve shirts on. Uh, I won't do that tomorrow. I won't go on a bike ride at all, but I wouldn't go on a bike ride dressed the same way that I was today because it would not be wise to do. So I think probably all of us to some degree give some thought to what we wear. Would you agree? Yes or no? Okay. Now some of you, it might be a real high priority and you might need to match everything and everything color coordinate. To me, I don't care about any of that really. I, I shouldn't say I don't care about that at all. I care about that a little bit. Uh, but I can tell you that it has never caused me 
even an ounce of stress because I'm going to put it on. If it doesn't match, somebody's going to tell me and I'm going to change it. So it's not going to stress me out. Uh, for some, it might be altogether different. But, but the fact of the matter is there's thought that goes into what we put on because for a multitude of reasons, we want to present ourselves, we want to be prepared, we want to be ready for whatever, we want to present ourselves in such a way we're going to an interview. Could be any number of things. So as Paul's describing this armor, he's talking about that there needs to be forethought. There needs to be preparation into understanding what spiritual warfare is all about. The fact of the matter is rarely, if ever, will we know when we're entering into a war or even into a battle for that matter. Likely you're not going to wake up in the morning and the Spirit of God is, is going to write something on your wall or on your mirror and say, hey, you're going to go into a battle today and it's going to be intense and you're going to be accused of something. You're going to be falsely accused of something or somebody's going to come against you or somebody's going to slander you. Rarely, if ever, that's never happened to me. 33 years of following the Lord. I've never had the Lord write anything on the mirror. Here's what usually happens. We get up and we prepare the best we can for the day and then we go out and then oftentimes at the end of the day we say, what in the world happened today, right? Think, wow, it was like, it was like all heaven opened up or all hell burst forth, right? And that's kind of how warfare can work. So Paul is describing here that there has to be attention given to that. So I want you to keep that in mind as we're going to jump through. That's all I'm going to say about Ephesians chapter 6 for right now. And I, and I have a couple questions on your outline. And they're questions that are written so you can maybe think about them beyond what I'm going to ask right now. And I'm not asking you to answer this question, but just allow the thought to enter into your mind for just a minute. And I'm talking about in relation to spiritual warfare. So in relation to spiritual warfare, should I play by the rules... Or should I follow my instincts? And, and I'm not asking you to answer that question at this moment, but I'm asking you to think about it. Should I play by the rules or should I follow my instincts? That's one question. Should I persevere or should I give up? Does there come a time when it's a foregone conclusion and we say, I lost this one? This one, I didn't win. I mean, I, I can tell you for sure I've been in battles, spiritual warfare, where I've probably gotten the short end of the stick. And I've either reacted in the flesh or I got my lunch handed to me, so to speak, metaphorically speaking. But, but there's times that we probably have come out on what we would probably say the losing side of a battle. Would you say that's ever happened? Would you say you've ever lost a battle between your ears? Okay, then you've lost a battle from time to time. So I think it happens in spiritual warfare. So the preparation is vital and preparation is key. So should I play by the rules or should I follow my instincts? Should I persevere or should I give up? Now, in the context of those two questions, I want you to think about David and Goliath for just a minute. And I, and I want to just set the stage for just a minute here. And then we're going to dive in and we're going to look at the lessons of a lopsided conflict. We, we should know that in those days, in, in the art of war in those days, there were three primary uh, fronts or three pri primary um, um, lines of warfare that would be used in those days. The first one was uh, chariots and horses. So if you were going to go to war against the Philistines or the Philistines were going to come to war against the, the people of Israel, 
they would employ in that battle chariots and horses. And they would do it for multiple reasons. They would want to gain surprise. They would want speed on their sides. On their side, they would want to go in quickly and get out quickly. So, so horses and chariots. You, you've seen the movies, right? You've seen the Ten Commandments. You've seen the movies. I mean, so horses and chariots. The next line of defense would have been the foot soldiers. It would have been those soldiers that went into battle with either spears or clubs or... Um, uh, short knife-like things, 18 to 24 inches. Those would have been your, your warriors that were fighting hand-to-hand -hand combat. So you're within 18 to 24 inches of somebody if you're one of those ground troops. And then the other line of defense in those days were the slingers and the archers. So you've got the horses and the chariots. You've got the, the soldiers with the spears and the swords, or you've got the slingers and the archers. So that's what you've got. So Israel is on one side of the mountain. The Philistines are on the other side of the mountain, and they both want the valley. They both want the valley. Both armies are wise, so they know they're not going to come down in the valley and expose themselves. So, so the strategy of the Philistines is they're going to send their biggest warrior out there, to taunt and intimidate the army. Isn't that just like the enemy? I, I've said this at least three of the times that I've taught. The enemy is a bully. And he picks fights. We don't have to pick fights. As believers, you don't have to go looking for a fight when it comes to spiritual warfare. It's going to come to you. You don't have to go looking for it. So the Philistines send out their hand-to-hand -hand combat expert. And we're going to read in just a minute about what he's got. So you've got horses or chariots, you've got hand-to-hand -hand, uh, folks that fight, and then you've got slingers or archers. And those are the folks that are standing back here, and they're shooting and launching arrows over their own folks into the enemies of whoever that camp is. And in those days, and, and it's clearly written in Scripture, and I'm, I'm saying all this because as we dive into this story, I think it's going to give important context to it. In those days, it's written in the Old Testament that those that slung the stone um, could, one of the tribes was described as being able to hit a blade of grass with a sling and a stone. So accurate were they with the sling and a stone that they could launch a stone and they could hit a blade of grass. I mean, I want you to imagine that that's what you do your whole life. You're just doing that your whole life. I, I grew up shooting a bow. And uh, I like to call it hunting. It wasn't hunting. I was just a, I was a, a, I was a, a messed up young person. And most of you know my testimony. And so every single day after school, I would get my bow that was not homemade. It was a store-bought bow. But my arrows were all homemade. I made all of my own arrows. I bought the wooden dowels and I'd fletch them and I'd dip them. And I'd put tips on them. And depending on what I was hunting, I'd put different tips on it. And it was not... It was not uncommon for me to shoot birds out of the air with arrows. I would, and depending on what the bird was, if it was a duck or if it was a goose or whatever it was, uh, if I wanted it, I would shoot it and I would shoot it out of the air. And I was pretty accurate with that. I could do that pretty consistently. And I'm not saying that to brag. I'm just saying when you do something with great repetition, you can get pretty efficient with it. So I want you to imagine people in the Bible days who didn't play Nintendo, who didn't have mobile devices, who didn't watch TV, but who made arrows, 
who made weapons, who made slings, and who found stones, and they practiced day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. They're going to be pretty good. So we find ourselves diving into this story with Goliath taunting the army of Israel. Nine foot, nine foot nine, some people say. We're going to dive in and we're going to read this story. But how many of you would say at first glance when you look at the story of David and Goliath, you would say David had a great disadvantage when you would read that? Right? I'm just curious. Raise your hand if you would say David had a great disadvantage. Keep your hand up for just a second. I'm curious. Okay. So that would probably be more than half of the people in here, raise their hand, said that David is at a disadvantage. I'm going to give you point number one, and then I'm going to read something, and then I'm going to suggest something to us. As I said earlier, that I wonder if this story is so familiar to us that we are looking at it through the wrong lenses. Because I'm going to submit to you tonight, and I'm going to prove it to you through the Bible. Say, prove it to me. Thank you. I'm happy to. That Goliath was at a great disadvantage, not David. Not David. Not in any way, shape, or form was David at a disadvantage. Not in any way. Not, no, no chance. How in the world did his brothers, how in the world did Saul, how in the world did the Philistines, how in the world did Goliath think he had any chance against David? A boy, a teenage boy. He, was he foolish? Was he stupid? What, what? He absolutely had no chance. So here's what I want to say to you as we dive into this story. At first glance, we might say David was at a great disadvantage. I'm going to submit to you that's absolutely not true, that's, that Goliath was at a great disadvantage. Oftentimes in spiritual warfare, you may think that you're at a great disadvantage. And I want to submit to you tonight that that is absolutely not true. That that is absolutely 100% not true. You are not at the disadvantage. But just as Goliath tried to intimidate and tried to bully David, and he intimidated for 40 days a whole army of people. He intimidated the king of Israel for 40 days. So intimidated were they that for 40 days they were paralyzed with fear. They wouldn't do anything. They wouldn't do anything. And I want to submit to you today that with a an improper understanding of spiritual warfare, you will not have the right understanding of who has the advantage and who has the disadvantage. So, number one on your outline. Write this in and then we're going to read. Number one, disadvantages properly understood teach us the lesson of ambition. I want to read this to you. Let me say it one more time. Disadvantages properly understood. So what we're going to do as we look at this story is we're going to try to properly understand this disadvantage. There was absolutely a disadvantage in this story. No question about it. The, the reality of it, though, was the disadvantage was not David's. The disadvantage was Goliath's. So disadvantages properly understood teach us the lesson of ambition. Let me read to you the definition of ambition. A strong desire to do or to achieve something, typically requiring determination and hard work. One more time. So disadvantages properly understood. So God, help us to understand 
disadvantages. Help us to see disadvantages the way you do. Because when most people read the story of David and Goliath, they think David was at such a disadvantage. Properly understood, teach us the lesson of ambition. Why do we need ambition? Because ambition is the desire, strong desire, to achieve something, typically requiring determination and hard work. Spiritual warfare requires determination and it requires hard work. This is not a game. This is not a game. I was just talking to a young man out there who just returned from combat. And I'm going to meet with him this week and we're going to have lunch. That's not a game. And spiritual warfare is not a game. Because somebody can die on planet earth in combat and their eternity, depending on where they've given their life, will be either heaven or hell. The battle that we're waging... Light versus darkness is all about that. It's all about, it's all about making sure that people understand that you're going to one or two places. So those of you that said that David was at the disadvantage, give me an opportunity to read it. Are you ready? Say, I'm ready. ready. Say, I'm ready. ready. Okay, here we go. Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet and his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. He also wore a bronze leg armor and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was heavy and thick as a weaver's beam tipped with iron with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. So the weight of a bowling ball got the tip of his spear that weighs as much as a bowling ball. His armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying a shield. Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. Now I want you to imagine he's been doing this for 40 days and nobody is moving. So do you think his confidence is growing? I mean think about that. He's walking out. There's a whole army of people, chariots and horses, hand-to-hand combat, archers and slingers and nobody's moving. One guy with a big mouth, and he's a big guy, and nobody is moving. Why are you all, and then he he goes on to say this, why are you all coming out to fight? He called. I am the Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. I want you to know that in spiritual warfare, that's what the enemy is doing. The enemy is trying to defy the plan of God. That's what the enemy is trying to do. And he is vocalizing it. He is vocalizing. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. So, As much as Goliath is intimidating, I want to submit to you, he was not what he appeared to be. He was not what he appeared to be because he was not, he was not a wise warrior. And I'm going to show you that in just a minute here. Some people think that he suffered. The Philistines were not a nation or a people of giants like some of the other peoples in the Bible. But here's a man named Goliath who is a giant among a people group that are not known to be giants. So some people, felt, some people think that he suffered from giantism. 
And some people think that he had that condition with that overactive thyroid that causes people to grow and grow and grow. And some people have suggested, and I'm not suggesting that because it's not in the Bible, but some people are suggesting because it is, it is, a, it is a medical fact that one of the things that people that have that condition suffer with is poor eyesight. Poor eyesight. So I want you to keep that in mind for just a minute. If, in fact, he suffered from that, it's possible that he had poor eyesight. And I'm not trying to over-extrapolate on the Word of God. I've said this many times before. The Word of God will allow us to wonder without wandering. So I'm not wandering from the text, but I'm wondering. Maybe he didn't see so well. Maybe he did. I don't know. Either way, I don't think it was going to change the outcome of the battle. But here's what I believe with all my heart. He was not as he seemed. As intimidating as he was and as big as he was, and he was big, and he was intimidating, and he had armor, he had this, this maul that he wore that weighed 125 pounds, and he had a spear with a 15-pound head on it. So he was an intimidating monster of a man. And I, I'm going to submit to you today that that is the way that the enemy always tries to appear when it comes to God's people as this giant, overpowering, odds-stacked-against-you-ten-times enemy. That's how he tries to do it. He's going to try to come against you, and he's going to try to convince you you've got absolutely no chance. And the tragic thing about it most of the time is a lot of people are paralyzed by it. The whole army of Israel, the people of God, that have seen God win victory after victory after victory after victory are paralyzed with fear. They're not moving. What in the world is going on? So this seeming disadvantage was not a disadvantage at all to David. And we're going to look at this as we dive into this. David saw this totally different than everybody else, than 100% of everybody else. And, and I'm going to suggest to us today that if we will look at spiritual warfare through the biblical lenses, but different maybe than everybody else. Because, you know, you can be a part of a group of people that gets seduced into believing nonsense. I mean, the people of God were seduced into being paralyzed by this big mouth giant. Right or wrong? Right or wrong? So something is going on here. And, and the, the story is telling us that they're all paralyzed by that. So as we dive into this, let's, let's just think about looking at this story differently than we ever have before. Point number two will be this on your outline. What you refuse to do will often ensure the outcome of the battle. That is very important that we understand what I just said. What you refuse to do will often ensure the outcome of the battle. So, so I'm going to ask you a question right now. What are you refusing to do? See, David refused to be intimidated by this giant. He refused. Everybody else bought into it. He refused. I refuse to be intimidated by this uncircumcised Philistine. He said that in the Bible. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he thinks he could defy the armies of God? He refused. He refused something that everybody else bought into. And, and so sometimes we got we to look at things differently and we got to ask ourselves the question, what are we refusing to do? Are you refusing to be intimidated by the lies of the enemy? You should be. You should be refusing to believe his lies. You should be refusing to say, 
When, when the enemy is saying to you, God is not for you, you need to refuse that and say, he is for me. If God is for me, who can be against me? But, but sometimes in spiritual warfare, it's what we refuse that's going to bring the breakthrough. It's what happened in this story. It's what David refused that nobody else would refuse that brought the victory. I refuse to be intimidated by this loudmouth and this bully. Is he dangerous? You better believe it, but I'm not going to fight him on his terms. And I want you to remember what I just said. David had absolutely no intention of fighting Goliath on his terms. Not at all. Not at all. It wasn't anywhere in his mind to fight him on his terms. Now, here's what the enemy is going to try to do, just like Goliath tried to do. The enemy is going to try to get you to fight on his terms because he's going to set the conditions and he's going to invite you into the conditions. Now, you do hand-to-hand combat with somebody that's nine foot tall and weighs 500 pounds and you're five foot ten or however tall David was and David weighs 160 pounds and he weighs 540 pounds. That's pretty foolish. But he refused it. He was not going to engage in that whatsoever. And I want to encourage you that one of the reasons that we, that we um, who have the armor of God and know how to put it on sometimes lose battles is because we fight on his terms and not on ours. Why aren't we setting the terms? Why aren't we setting the terms? If he comes to pick the battle with me, That's what Goliath did. That's what the enemy comes to do. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He comes to pick the battle with me because he is afraid of me. That's what Goliath did. Goliath came to pick the battle, and everybody was backing away, and they they weren't about to enter into that because they they were paralyzed with fear. But, But notice what the Bible says in 1 Samuel 17, 24 through 27. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, They began to run away. Run away. David refused to run away. What you refuse to do will often ensure the outcome of your battle. Have you seen this giant, the men asked? He comes out every day to defy Israel. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who will kill him. He will give that man one of his daughters for a wife, and the man's entire family will be exempted from paying taxes. David asked the soldier standing nearby, what will a man get for killing this Philistine? So this conversation is going on. David's father says, David, your brothers are down there fighting a battle and they're hungry. Take them some groceries. So David packs up and he starts hauling some groceries down to the front line. He overhears this conversation that he knew nothing about because he's up taking care of the sheep. And so he asks this question, what will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? Who is this pagan Philistine anyway? That he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God. And these men gave David the same reply. They said, yes, there is a reward for killing him. So David refused to be intimidated. He started asking the right questions to gather the right kind of information so he knew what he needed to do. Do you know that when we study the Word of God, we are gathering the right information to know what we need to do? When we read Ephesians chapter 6, we are gathering the right information to know what we need to do. Put on the full armor of God. I'm not going to go out and look for a devil. I'm not going to go out and and try to jump in the middle of some stupid, silly thing. But I'm going to put the armor on. And and then whatever happens, happens. Because I'm going to be ready to go. 
And so David is inquiring of that, but, but, but he refused to be intimidated. And, and so we've got to be, we, we've got to really, when, when it comes to thinking about the warfare that's happening over your life or over your family or over your finances or over whatever it is, you've got to ask yourself the question, what are you refusing to do? Are you refusing to be intimidated by the enemy? You should be refusing that. I refuse it. I'm not going to. I'm not going to be lied to by him. And, and, and that, is, that, is, that is preparation for spiritual warfare. And so we begin to move forward here. So number three. Number three. We must prioritize revolution over institution, confidence over fear. We must. Say, that's me. Say it like you mean it. Say it again. That is bad. Say, that's me. We must prioritize revolution over institution. Confidence over fear. The institution said, Goliath set the terms for the battle. He's asking somebody to come down and fight hand-to-hand combat. That's what the institution said. The institution said, this is the noble way you do it. This is the way my grandpa did it. This is the way my great-grandpa did it. This is the way I watched my uncle do it. This is the way he did it. This is the way he did it. And this is the way he did it. So that must be the way we have to do it. And David looked at the whole thing and he thought, you know what? I'm going to prioritize revolution over institution. Confidence over fear. All of you guys are paralyzed with fear. He probably didn't say that because they were already jealous of him. But, but there was something different in David. And it was about prioritizing. And sometimes, sometimes, sometimes we, get a, we have to get out of the old way of thinking. That's the institution that says... Well, it must be this way because it's always been this way. David didn't look at that at all that way. Not at all. Goliath said, send a guy out and let him fight me. And they all knew what that meant. He had a gigantic sword and he had a gigantic spear. And they all knew what that meant. They weren't willing to think unconventionally at all. They weren't willing to think outside of the box at all. And part of it was because, because they, they didn't refuse to do certain things. And they walked in fear and not in confidence. So the Bible goes on to say this, again in 1 Samuel chapter 17. And I would encourage you to read the story in its entirety when you get a chance. When David's oldest brother heard David talking to the men, he was angry. What are you doing around here anyway? I'm sure he didn't say it kindly. Can you imagine what kind of a conversation that sibling rivalry was that day? Forty days that the army of Israel has done nothing. And here comes David and he's asking questions. And he is on their last nerve. What are you doing down here anyway? He demanded. What about those few sheep? Here's a, de- here's a, here's a jab, right? Here's a jab. What about those few sheep? You ever been put in your place like that by somebody? Why don't you just go back to that little cubicle you work in? Or why don't you just go back to doing your little whatever it is that you do? And that's exactly what's happening here, the jab from his brother coming. What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know about your pride and your deceit. That's what his brother said to him. You just want to see the battle. David's response, what have I done to you? I was only asking a question. He walked over to some others and ask them the same thing and receive the same answer. So he's going down the line. What's going on here? What's happening here? What's going on? 
Then David's question was reported to King Saul, and the king sent for him. So, so David's request is going up line. David is saying something nobody else is saying. What would it look like the next time you got into a situation that you started saying something nobody else was saying? And you, you started realizing, just like David realized, David thought, Goliath is so outmatched, he has no idea. Forty days they watched him. Forty days they watched Goliath. And you're telling me in 40 days they couldn't figure out a strategy how to kill him? Forty days. How in 40 days do you not get your best archer and sling an arrow at him? How do you not do that in 40 days? How do you put up with that for 40 days? You're starving to death. You're running out of supplies. How do you not do that? The institution had him paralyzed. And sometimes the institution of the church or faulty theology or faulty doctrine has us paralyzed. We should not be intimidated and we should not be bullied by the enemy. David refused to be intimidated or bullied by the enemy. He refused it, to do it. And I said this already, David never planned to fight Goliath on his terms, never. And he refused to be intimidated by this foe. And it was so apparent and it was so evident that it went up line to the king. And the Bible says that King Saul calls for him and says, hey, bring that guy to me. I, I need to talk to this guy. And so he shows up. And, and I'm sure that Saul, as the king, and Saul was a warrior, he's assessing David. And he's been looking at, Saul, at Goliath for 40 days. And he's thinking, maybe he didn't say it, but he's probably thinking to himself, are you kidding me? You've got arms about 12 inches around. You weigh 150 pounds. His spear weighs as much as you. He's probably thinking all of these things. But there's something resolute about this young, confident man who didn't see him at a disadvantage. He saw him, as a great, he saw him having a great advantage over Goliath. Great advantage. So let me give you a number four, and let me just kind of walk us through this story a little bit more. Conventional wisdom will tell us that disadvantage is something to be avoided. Conventional wisdom would say disadvantage is something to be avoided. Undesirable difficulties can produce improbable victories. Think about that for just a minute. Conventional wisdom, the conventional wisdom probably of Saul at that time is you are at such a disadvantage. Everybody in the army felt that way. That's why they avoided going out and fighting Goliath. They were at a disadvantage, they thought. So they're not going to go out and fight him. Nobody in their right mind, in the natural, is going to go out when the odds are stacked so against them. Right? I mean, most of us in here today said David was at a disadvantage. I think most of us think that in the natural. I'm not saying we live our lives that way, but most of us think that way when we look at this story. But the fact of the matter is that undesirable difficulties, this was an undesirable difficulty. This giant was a pain in the neck, a 40-day pain in the neck, can produce improbable victories. I wonder if the undesirable difficulty that you're facing right now, I wonder if the challenge you're facing right now is calling something to rise up on the inside of you that you will refuse to do not going to be intimidated by him any longer. I'm not going to be intimidated. I'm not going to believe that lie any longer because God has 
right in front of you an improbable victory. See, David knew it in his spirit. He didn't need somebody else to tell him he was going to do it. Matter of fact, everybody was telling him how foolish he was. He didn't need somebody. He didn't need the cheerleaders. He didn't need the, the praise team. He didn't need the intercessors. He didn't need any of that. I'm not saying those aren't helpful things. But in this case, in this case, he was ready. He was ready. And the conventional wisdom is saying, don't go do that. Even Saul. Even Saul. The conversation goes on a little bit further, and I'm jumping down here, but here's what, here's what David says to King Saul. David to the king. And David's a teenager. A teenager. Think about that. That man, Goliath, has probably been fighting longer than David's been alive. Don't worry about that, Philistine. Can you imagine him sitting? you imagine a teenager sitting down in front of you with incredible odds stacked against the situation and a young 15-year-old who finds himself in a situation, 16-year-old, 17-year-old, finds himself in a situation he doesn't want to be in. But God has set up for that young person an improbable victory. Don't worry about that, Philistine, David said to Saul. I'll go fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. Saul's thinking, the conventional wisdom says, this is a disadvantage. Don't be ridiculous. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy. He's been a man of war since his youth. So even the people on his own side, even those that should have his back, even those that are God followers, even those, even those, the conventional wisdom, because they're looking at the disadvantage, is talking them out of an improbable victory. I wonder how many times we walk away from a situation, and in God's mind, that was an improbable victory, but conventional wisdom talked us out of doing what God wanted us to do. Because somewhere there was attached to it an undesirable difficulty. I'm going to have to have a crucial conversation with somebody. I'm going to have to do a hard thing. And there's an undesirable difficulty about it, but all along there's a giant that God wants to fall. Are you guys all here? You're super quiet. Just stick your hand up if you're still with me. You got a few minutes? Say I have plenty of time. Don't even look at the clock, okay? You know, they're out there until 8.30. They're out there until 8.30, and they have babies. They got to go pick babies up from the nursery, so I'm just going to take my time. I'm going to be a good steward of your time. I just want us to get this. I just want us to get what this whole picture is looking like because it's not unlike the thing you find yourself fighting. You may feel like the odds are against you, and you may feel like that giant standing in front of you is not possibly defeatable. And you might think, there's no chance I can win this. But it might be that you need to start refusing something. And it's time to start refusing something and say, I'm done with this nonsense. I was reading about something this week because I have a good friend. And he is a good friend of mine. 
and he has dyslexia. And I put the definition of what that is on your outline. And I put this question on your outline for a reason. And here was the question. Would you wish dyslexia on a child? And here's what dyslexia is. It's any of various reading disorders associated with impairment of the ability to interpret spatial relationships or to integrate auditory or visual information. For years, this thing went undiagnosed. So kids would sit in a classroom and teachers would think that they were just either stupid or they didn't know how to pay attention or they were undisciplined. And, and there's actually a condition called dyslexia where, where kids or, or anybody that suffers with dyslexia twists letters and numbers in their minds and, and, and it's a very real condition. No, none of us would wish dyslexia on anybody. None of us would, would wish a learning disorder on somebody. None of us would do that. But here's what I've discovered about this good friend of mine. Dyslexics, and I'm speaking specifically about this friend of mine, compensate for their disability by developing other skills. So here's what the enemy wants to convince you of. That you have spiritual dyslexia. And you are confused. And you don't know how to fight right. And you're not going to get it right. And you're going to mess it up. And, and here's, what, here's what has been fascinating to me about my friend. So I was with my friend today for an hour. We rode for an hour and 25 minutes today. And uh, he is a self-diagnosed and discovered dyslexic, and he's one of my best friends. And before our ride was over today, he told me about three new places of information where he is growing and learning in his relationship with the Lord. Three different, he sent me two emails and a website on my phone in a text of three places that he is now uh, listening to. He, he devours podcasts. He just devours them. To read for him is a great challenge. It's a great challenge. He can't sit down and read a book without great challenges. But he's overcome that difficulty by utilizing what is available and accessing what is available, and he's growing like crazy. Been serving the Lord for years and years and years, and he's one of my good friends, and we challenge and we encourage each other and we exhort and we correct and we all of those things while we're riding a bike. And he's a good friend of mine, and before we were done, he told me about three things. There's something called the theory of desirable difficulty. The theory of desirable difficulty. And the theory of the desirable difficulty is that when the odds are stacked against you, there is great opportunity for advancement and learning. When the odds are stacked against you, there's great opportunity for advancement and learning if we'll choose to respond the right way. So the theory of desirable difficulty in that situation for David was, David, conventional wisdom is you're at a great disadvantage. You can't fight him. You're only a boy. He's been fighting for all these years. This is an undesirable difficulty. You better avoid it. Now, had this friend of mine said, you know what, I'm just, I have a hard time reading, so I guess I'm just not going to be a learned man in my lifetime. 
he would have limited his possibilities. He is well-read, very knowledgeable, very insightful. I left a meeting today, and he was sitting at the same place I was having a meeting, and he was counseling two young men, just pouring wisdom into them. Wouldn't wish dyslexia on a child. But here's David, who is being told by his brothers, who do you think you are? You're not even a fighter. Just go up there and take care of those few little sheep. You're at a disadvantage. You've got a disability. You've never even fought in combat before. You don't know what war is like. You're a teenager. You're a boy. You've never fought before. I'm sure Saul's thinking that. You don't even know what fighting is. I wonder how many times the enemy has whispered those kinds of lies. You can't fight. You've only been a Christian for a year. You don't even know the Bible. You don't know the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. You can't fight. Devil's thousands of years old. He's much smarter than you. What are you going to refuse to do? We've got to be like David. And we've got to say, I'm done with this. I don't care what you, you guys are going to be paralyzed with fear. I'm going to seek answers. I'm going to get understanding. But the theory of desirable difficulty was not going to impair David from doing what God had called him to do. He was going to prioritize a revolution over an institution and confidence over fear. And if you're going to be successful in spiritual warfare, it's not going to be because you link your armor together perfectly. Because you can have your armor linked together perfectly and you can still get your lunch eaten. Because just because you have it on doesn't mean you use it. I mean, they had, they had horses. They had chariots. They had hand-to-hand soldiers. They had slingers. And they had archers and nobody was doing anything. You can put the armor on all day long and have your lunch eaten every single day. Unless you know what to do with it. And unless you look at things like David did. David probably thought to himself as he's assessing the situation and as he's talking to Saul, he's probably thinking to himself, that stupid, stupid giant. I'm going to ask him when I get to heaven. But he's probably thinking that stupid, stupid giant. You know, he was up there in the mountains with his sheep, with a sling and a stone. The first time I went to Israel, I wanted to find five smooth stones. It took me 10 days to find five smooth stones. I actually did. It took me 10 days. We were there for 14 days. I said, I want to find five smooth stones. And I looked everywhere. I found six. I gave one of them away. But I wanted five smooth stones because that's what David had in the, in, the, in the pouch. Because the Bible said when David came ready to do warfare, when it came time for combat, the Bible says that Saul says, hey, put my armor on. Put my armor on. And maybe David was appeasing Saul. I don't know how that all went. But maybe, maybe Saul forced it. We don't know. Maybe Saul said, I am no way going to let you go into battle unless you put some armor on. I know you don't own your own armor. You're not even in the army. So put my armor on. So the Bible says David puts the armor on. As soon as he gets it on, he says, I can't go in this. I can't go in this. So he strips it off, and he walks out 
to the battle lines. I want you to imagine this. He walks out to the battle lines, and he's got his sling and his stones. That's all he's got. And he's got a stick. And Goliath responds in the story, and Goliath says to him, very disgustedly, you're coming at me with a stick and a stone? I mean, Goliath is disgusted by the whole thing. And David is standing there. And I, I just, want you to, just want you to imagine what that's all going to look like. And let me give you this last point, and then let me just wrap this up. Number five is this. Cause a crisis of belief and change the consensus. Cause a crisis of belief and change the consensus. David caused a crisis of belief. He said to every single person, I'll go fight him. I can beat him. I'll go fight him. He caused a crisis of belief. Everybody else is thinking, David, you don't even fight yet. You haven't even learned to fight yet. You don't even have your own armor yet. You don't even have your own weapons yet. You got a sling and you got some rocks. And yeah, you've killed the lion and yeah, you've killed the bear, but you've never fought a man hand to hand. You've never fought a man that's trained in the art of war. Never, 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 never. So cause a crisis of belief and change the consensus. He was going to change the consensus, but it wasn't going to be, it wasn't going to be until he went out to battle. So let me read this. Let me read this to you on the back of your outline. 1 Samuel 17, 34 through 40. David persisted. So this is with Saul. He's persisting. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When the lion and the bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and I rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and I club it to death. I have done this to lions and bears, and I will do it to this pagan Philistine too. For he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from the Philistine. Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead. And may the Lord be with you. It's almost like whatever. <laughs> I'm not going to talk you out of it. You're just a 17-year-old dummy. guess I'm not going to talk you out of it. Go ahead. Gave him his own armor, bronze helmet, put it on, strapped it over the sword, took a step or two. I've never worn these things before. I can't go. He protested to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off again. He picked up five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the shepherd's bag, then armed only with a shepherd's staff and sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. So I want you to imagine this. You know, the Bible calls you a living stone. Do you know that? Do you know that in Peter, the Bible calls you a living stone? I want you to imagine that when David swept these stones up from the ground. He knew exactly what he was looking for. He knew he couldn't have a flat stone. He knew he couldn't have an oblong stone. He knew that he needed the right stone for the right battle. I want to submit to you tonight that God is looking for the very same thing. He is looking for the right stone for the right battle. You are a living stone being built into this holy spiritual priesthood. Look it up. It's in the book of Peter. You are living stones, the Bible says. He is the chief cornerstone. So David scoops up these five stones, the Bible says, from the stream. He knew where to get the stones. 
You had to go to the stream to get the stones because the, the stream is washing over the stones and it's, and it's rounding them and it's softening them and it's polishing them and it's perfecting them and it's getting them ready so that when they get ready to soar, they're ready to go and they're going to fly true. You know, sometimes, sometimes you feel like the, the floodgates are just washing over you. You feel like the water's just washing over you. You feel like you're being swept away and swept away. And could it be that God has you in the stream because he's polishing you? Because there's going to come a time when he's going to snatch you up as a living stone and he's going to launch you as a living stone right into the forehead of a giant. David went to the stream. He knew where to go. God knows where to go to get the living stones. He knows who's been polished and he knows who's been ready. And he knows who's ready and he knows who will fly true and who will not fly true. I looked and I looked and I looked and I looked and I finally found six and I brought them home and I still have five of them. And then I would imagine it went something like this. Let me just close with this. I would imagine it went something like this. David probably thought to himself, there's no way I'm entering into hand-to-hand combat with him. There's no way I'm doing that. He is a hand-to-hand combat expert. I'm a slinging expert. I can take him out from 50 yards away or 75 yards away. His spear at most will fly 45 yards, 50 yards at most. So I'm going to stand 63 yards away, and I am going to propel that stone with such speed and such force that he could throw his sword He could throw his javelin at me and it's going to land at my feet and that rock is going to fly true and it's going to fly straight for his forehead and it's going to hit him right below his helmet, right in his forehead. David knew how to do it. David had absolutely no interest in fighting on Goliath's terms. If you're going to be successful in spiritual warfare, quit fighting on the enemy's terms. Because if you do, you're going to lose. If David would have walked up to Goliath with a sword, David would have gotten killed. David had no chance. But David knew there's a difference between a slinger and a hand-to-hand combat expert. And I am not a hand-to-hand combat expert, but I am a slinging expert. So I'm going to take him out with a sling. If I had my bow and arrow right here, and somebody was standing at that corner, and they had a knife and a javelin, and I had my bow and arrow, I promise you I would win every time. I promise you I would win every time because there's no chance they're going to hit me with a javelin from that far, but I promise you I can hit them with an arrow. And David knew, David knew, I can hit him with a stone. So all of you that uh, have been intimidated and bullied, not me. Not me. Because he is the one who has the odds against him. That poor, silly giant. He's standing out there, half blind. He's got a javelin and a sword. But I'm not getting close enough to let him hit me with that. No way. And so I just want to, I wonder what that sounded like, that thud sounded like. David got those stones and he starts running. He probably, in his mind, he probably had a line and he probably knew, and probably all of, uh, all of the army of Israel is probably thinking, what is that dummy doing? And he's running, and he's running, and probably just right at the right time, he stopped, and he just started to swing that thing. 
three, four times. Whatever he knew would be the momentum he would need to launch a stone from here to that wall or wherever. And then, bam, that thing hit him right in the forehead and down he went. Down he went. David went over, cut his head off, game over. 17-year-old boy, game over. Game over. Why? Unconventional. Unconventional. I want to just submit to you today that you need to put your armor on for sure. But what if God has an unconventional battle strategy? What if it's not time any longer to fight according to his taunts and according to his bullying? He's not having your kids. He's not having your families. He's not having your marriage. He's not having your finances. He's not having your health. Right? And, and we're not going to be seduced into getting in proximity of him being able to take us out. Not doing that. So, from now on, when you look at the story of David and Goliath, you need to think, poor, poor, pitiful Goliath. The odds were stacked so against him and he didn't even know it. He didn't even know it. The poor giant, poor dumb nine-foot giant, he didn't even know he had no chance against the teenage boy. Do you know that a uh, ten thousands of ten thousands of year old demon has no chance against you? No chance. Not a chance on planet Earth. No chance. But he wants you to think he does. And if you let him convince you, then he's going to seduce you into his arena. And David was having none of that. So let me just encourage you as I close. Thank you, by the way, for being a part of this series. Let me just encourage you that spiritual warfare is a broad subject and it's a broad topic. And we do not have to give ourselves brain damage trying to figure things out. I don't, I don't see David needing any medication to go into combat. I don't see David stressed out. I just see him inquiring, trying to gather information. And then when the time came, he just said, I'll do it. And he went and got what he needed. He went and got the stones. He had his sling. He got what he needed. He went up to the Goliath and he said to Goliath, he said, I'm going to kill you today. I'm going to cut your head off. He told him that. I'm going to kill you today and then I'm going to cut your head off. And Goliath was filled with rage. And David killed him. Then he cut his head off, just like he said. And then Saul became incredibly jealous. But David wasn't stressed out. You don't, we don't need to be stressed out about it. Same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of us. We just have to have the confidence to not be seduced any longer by the bullying of the enemy who has everybody else thinking that he's going to win. I don't think he's going to win. I know he's not going to win. The Bible told me he didn't win. David, the 17-year-old with no combat experience, thought to himself, I'm a slinger. He's a swordsman. He's got no chance against me. Poor guy, no chance against me. Poor guy. That's how we should go into spiritual warfare. Not cocky, not arrogant, but just knowing that when we suit up and we've got the armor of God on, we've got everything we need, just like David. He had his sling and his stone. There was the bully. There was the giant. Killed him, cut his head off, and went about his day. So we put the armor of God on, got the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, Got my shield of faith to quench the fiery darts of the enemy. I'm going to go to work tomorrow. 
I'm going to come here and I'm going to decorate in the morning. I'm going to go to work. I'm going to have my meetings. I'm going to do whatever I'm going to do. And if the enemy shows up, even if everybody else thinks that he can beat me up, I'm not going to think he can because I've got everything I need. I've got the helmet of salvation. I've got the sword of spirit. I've got the breastplate of righteousness. I've got everything I need. We hope that this message has spoken something personal to you. If you would like more information about our church family or service times, please call us at 303-424-2121 or visit us at our website, www.fbci.org. Faith Bible Chapel currently meets in our Family Worship Center located on the corner of 62nd Avenue and Ward Road.